This is Chad Harrington with the For the Beauty podcast. It's sponsored by HIM Publications. That's H-I-M Publications. And it stands for Harrington Interactive Media, which is the parent company. HIM Publications exists to beautify the church, to make the church more beautiful, which is more mature. And so one of the ways we do that is by producing resources that equip the church to grow and to multiply, but also to beautify. And as the owner of Hymn Publications, who sponsors this podcast, my goal is to put out resources that do just that, to beautify the church. And so one of those resources that I'm pumped about is Anchors for the Soul by John Mark Hicks. Now, he published it in 2001 by College Press. It went out of print, and so we are republishing it. We repackaged it, we edited it, so it's an updated and revised version. But we also added to it a video course that's available through himpublications.com, as well as a journal if you're grieving, suffering, or you know someone who is grieving and suffering, and you're in a place where you can comfort them and encourage them, these resources are designed for you. So you can process in community before God through scripture. When I talked to John Mark Hicks about this resource a few years ago, when we were discussing the project at the outset, he said that his goal is to get it into the hands of churches so that small groups or entire churches can go through it and train their people on how to help and be with and grieve with sufferers. So that's the goal. I want you to listen to part of this book recorded and narrated by the author, John Mark Hicks. He's a professor at Lipscomb University, very articulate, but more important than that, he brings his true experience. I say true, meaning his authentic experience. So he doesn't come as someone with answers. He doesn't try and fix, but he tries to help you as the listener enter into that pain to sit in it, to process it, and to take it before God and eventually other people so you can process with them and grow together. So order the book. Uh, you can get it an audiobook, an ebook, a hardback, and there's an online course that's designed for small groups to go through. It's also convenient for individuals who wish to process on their own. So take a listen. John Mark Hicks, Anchors for the Soul. This is just the first part to give you a taste of the full book. Enjoy it. Introduction. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nehemathite, heard about all the trouble that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. When Job's friends heard about his plight, they visited him. Their intention was supportive. They came to sympathize with him and comfort him. Job chapter 2, verse 11. The same Hebrew words, though translated differently, are used again in the epilogue where his friends and relatives comforted him and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. Job chapter 42, verse 11. 
Their genuine sympathy for Job is expressed in a traditional Near Eastern manner. Job chapter 2, verse 11. They not only wept with loud cries, they also tore their clothes and threw dust on their heads. Job's reaction to his trouble was similar. Job chapter 1, verse 20. They sat with Job on a trash heap for seven days in silence. Job chapter 2, verse 13. Their friendship could not have been demonstrated more appropriately. Silence is often better in the face of another's suffering than attempting to soothe their pain with words. Now, Job was no longer alone. His friends were with him. Finally, Job might have thought to himself, I have someone who will share my pain with me and provide a comforting presence. But Job, with the reader, soon discovers the friends are miserable comforters. Job chapter 16, verse 2. Community is important in suffering. The help of friends is immeasurable. But suffering can also destroy community. In the midst of suffering, people tend to seek their own interest. We want to preserve our understanding of God or our theology in a way that evidences the selfishness within the human spirit. Job rose above this selfish inclination when he maintained his integrity, that is, when he refused to curse God while maintaining his own innocence. His friends did not. They wanted him to confess his sin. They sought to preserve their theology by questioning Job's integrity. They cut Job loose from their community because God, in their view, had judged him. Job was without a community. Today, we are no different. One minister discovered he was HIV positive through a past blood transfusion. He disclosed this to his congregation, and the leaders fired him. What was once a loving community turned on him when they believed God had judged him for some secret sin. The theology of Job's friends is alive today. The dialogue in Job is as much about the destruction of community as it is about a misunderstanding of God. The reader who evaluates the dialogue from the standpoint of the narrative background story, Job chapters 1 and 2, sees the tragedy of both. The friends align themselves with the accuser's approach. Indeed, they attempt to destroy Job's faith by siding with the accuser. Job's wife counsels him to maintain his integrity and curse God's injustice. The friends counsel Job to deny his integrity and submit to their version of God's justice. Either way, the accuser wins. Job's wife and friends trust God only when God blesses. In the end, both serve God for profit, but Job rejects both alternatives. Instead, he worships, grieves, or laments, including raging at God, and trusts. Job chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. Chapter 7, verses 11 to 21. Chapter 23, verses 10 to 12. He will serve God even when there is no discernible profit or reward. Job chapter 21, verses 14 to 16. He will trust God because there is no one else to trust but God. In the face of tragedy, the community of God talks with each other about the fear of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. The Lord listens, remembers, and one day will redeem the people 
as God's own possession. One day, redemption will overcome tragedy and grief will give way to joy. As the community waits for that day, how do they talk with one another? What does the community of faith say, for example, to those who have experienced the tragic death of a child? What do we say to sufferers? How do we avoid the mistakes of Job's friends? What should we say? What can we say? This book is the practical conclusion of my larger, over 300-page book entitled, Yet Will I Trust Him? Understanding God in a Suffering World. Much of the material for this book is adapted from its first and last chapters. I hope offering the material in this form will enable individuals, churches, and small group Bible studies to think with me through some of these grand biblical themes that help sufferers and offer comfort. We've included at the end of each chapter an opportunity to reflect and discuss the ideas presented. Writing this book, I've had two audiences in mind. On the one hand, I write for people who know suffering, either in their past or present. I write as one who has suffered in my own life, and though the experience of suffering varies considerably from one person to the next, it is something we share. I write as a way to process this together. That is the focus of part one. On the other hand, I also write for those who are sitting with people who are suffering. It is important for those who would help others to reflect on suffering. And I hope this book can serve as a guide for how to help friends and family who find themselves angry with God and questioning their faith. Comforting others who are suffering is the focus of part two. I am sometimes asked, what has helped you endure your trials? What gets you through the tough times? The full answer to those questions involves the story I tried to tell in the above-mentioned book. But I think the story boils down to five simple but profound anchors. These five principles summarize the story and anchor our faith. God loves. God listens. God understands. God reigns and God wins. When the waves of doubt and despair invade my heart and knock me off my feet, I often reflect on these five profound truths. They provide a foundation, and they empower whatever endurance I might have by the grace of the Spirit's power. These five fundamental truths are anchors for the soul amidst the storms of life. We will get into each of these in turn, as well as the importance of silence and the time to speak, but first, let me tell you my personal story so that you have some context for understanding the places of pain from which these anchors have come. Part 1. Finding Comfort in the Storm Chapter 1. My Story Men cry out under a load of oppression. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful. But no one says, Where is God my Maker, who gives songs in the night? Elihu to Job. Job chapter 35, verses 9 to 10. In this chapter, you will learn about suffering from first-hand experiences, see the benefits of faithful lament, and understand the difference between joy with lament and joy with without lament. 
I married on May 22nd, 1977. I was young, only 19, and even though I had already earned a bachelor's degree in Bible and ministry at a private Christian college, I was incredibly naive about the world's evil and pain. I had not experienced the pain of personal suffering, nor had my understanding of God been radically challenged. Suffering, I had thought, does not come from God and is not in any way connected to God. Only good is connected to God, which, to my mind, was the absolute absence of suffering. However, 1980 shook this vision. My innocence was shattered, and my naive and simplistic belief in God's providential goodness was tested. On April 30th, 1980, Sheila, my wife of less than three years, died suddenly and unexpectedly at home due to a complication while recovering from surgery. You see, we had hope for children in the near future. In fact, because she had significant scoliosis, Sheila underwent back surgery so she could carry a child to full term without experiencing extraordinary pain. We had planned to pursue a missionary career in Germany where we hoped to minister in the Eastern Bloc. We had planned, prayed, and pursued so much. But on April 30th, 1980, all those dreams crashed to the ground. The pillars of my faith were shaken by her death and cracks began to emerge. Had we not dedicated ourselves to God's service? Had we not prayed for health and protection? Why had God not empowered us for a future ministry in Germany? Why had not God preserved the life of my spouse? Did God not hear our prayers? Where were those blessings now? Why wasn't her life spared? I wrestled with all these questions. After a while, at the suggestion of a friend, I renewed my study of Scripture, especially the Psalms. Could Scripture speak to my aching heart? I also studied Job and Ecclesiastes and reread the biblical narratives. It was as if I had never read that literature before. And in a very real sense, I had not. I was not the same person I had been. Before Sheila's death, I had not empathized with Job. Before my suffering, I had not understood the intense emotions of the psalmist. Now, I too had experienced unspeakable loss and it opened up the possibilities of an empathetic reading of Scripture in a way to empathize with the anguish of these writers. This awakening opened up a world I never knew existed. I discovered one can read accounts of suffering empathetically only if one has already suffered or is gifted with a heart to share suffering with another. No amount of textbook exposure can generate that genuine empathy except by the work of the Spirit in one's heart. Faithful Lament Before Sheila died, I can remember believing that such a world of suffering could not exist in the believer's life. I remember thinking that the world is God's good creation. God is good, and therefore, as a believer, I could expect good, especially in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. There was no room for despair in a world where God had eliminated it for believers. I believed we should always rejoice and never lament. Christians should always wear a smile. Now, as I read Psalms, Job, and other stories of lament in the Bible, I found I could relate to them. I had encountered and entered a new world, the world of faithful lament. Faithful lament was a new category for me. 
How can lament with its accusations, bewilderment, doubt, tears, and frustrations express faith? Prior to my wife's death, lament was unknown to me. Christianity was all about joy, celebration, and hopeful anticipation. I had learned to rejoice, to look forward to the future, and to celebrate God's victory through ministry. My worldview was dominated by that kind of triumphalism that says God's army will conquer. We will set the world aright. We will establish the perfect church. My outlook had no room for lament and little room for failure, since such would accuse or fault God for suffering. But my own loss forced me to lament because the believer who continues to believe can only lament in the midst of suffering. Lament expresses the sufferer's faith amidst the confusion and hurt. Lament does not disown God. Rather, it calls upon God to do something to help and to rescue. It cries, My God! A cry that fills the prayers of the Psalms. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 3. And chapter 22, verse 1. And many more. By God's grace, however, those early years of lament turned to praise because God renewed my joy. I hope you enjoyed the first part of Anchors for the Soul by John Mark Hicks. You can order the full audiobook at himpublications.com. That's himpublications.com. You can also buy the hardback book and the video course there as well.